one would just be not sending enough emails. Like if you have really good, look high, the high quality emails, you can definitely send a lot more emails than most people think. Not having enough emails and flows, not segmenting correctly. So blasting a 50,000 person list rather than finding out who's engaged and who's not. Yeah. There's a time and place where you would send to the whole list, absolutely. But in most instances, you want to send to engaged subscribers. Uh, oh man, the list goes on. I could go for ages and ages and ages. G'day, I'm Lockie and welcome to D2C Slingshot, a podcast where we interview brand founders and industry experts to help you out on your own journey. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. So I'm joined here with Oscar from Stripe Copy today. I just want to give you yourself a quick introduction, what you've been doing over the last few months and how you sort of got into email marketing. 100% bro, yeah. Like, uh, yep, like Lockie said, my name's Oscar, I'm from uh, Stripe Copy. I'm the founder here. I started the agency probably... Um, about a year, year and a half ago now. Um, so we do email and SMS for e-com brands. You know, initially, as most of us do, start out as a bit of a freelancer, you know, take on a couple of clients yourself. You kind of reach a peak at around 10, 15K MRR. And then, um, you know, especially, you know, towards the start of this year, I took on a ton of clients and now really sort of in the weeds of, uh, you know, building out a, out a team and, and building out a real agency that's scalable. So yeah, email and SMS for e-com brands, that's sort of the main service we run right, right now. Um, and yeah, I've been loving every second of it building this thing, I feel like. It's a really great offer and I'm keen to scale it, you know, continually. Yeah, nice. And like, did you have any previous experience before that or did you sort of learn from the YouTube uh, university or how did you get into it? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I played around with a bunch of different stuff before I got into the agency game. I mean, you know, I was, you know, always trying things here and there throughout high school, you know, tried the eBay dropshipping, tried the Shopify dropshipping for a couple of years. I did it all right. Went to uni, dropped out after my first semester just because it wasn't for me and I knew I wanted to do something in the online space. Um, so, you know, tried, tried around dropshipping. I've made a bit of money doing that for about a year. You know, nothing crazy, you know, nothing really enough to support myself. Um, but, you know, it's a good experience. I, you know, gained a bunch of skills, learned the basics of direct response marketing, and copywriting, which I still use today. So I'm forever grateful for that. You know, as much as, you know, it would have been nice to reach the success faster and, and you, know, the, you know, the revenue goals faster, I think, you know, it's almost necessary that you go through those struggles and those pains and trying different things um, just because obviously throughout that process, and though you're not necessarily seeing the output you want, um, you still gain the skill sets that, that are required to, you know, scale other businesses. So I uh, did the dropshipping for about a year after I dropped out of uni, that didn't really work. So I made the transition uh, early last year in 2022 into the agency game, just honestly picked email and SMS marketing out of a hat. I was looking at a list of, you know, hundred different services I could offer, yeah. picked email and SMS, um, you know, at the time it was pretty hot. So, you know, ran that up, got my first couple of clients within, you know, about a month. Um, then ever since then, just been going, going full force, just kind of figuring everything out as I go. So um, it's been a journey, but it's been good. Yeah, nice. You sort of timed the market well by accident as well, because yep. yeah, it was sort of coming off uh, COVID, but also the iOS 14 updates, uh, which had a pretty big impact on paid advertising and trying to acquire new customers. Yep. And I don't know if you noticed that, but there was a big shift towards retention marketing, especially email and SMS. Did you 100%. feel like you um, caught the wind in your sales because of that? Or Look, yeah, look, I got lucky. I definitely got lucky in that sense where it's like I definitely picked the right service at the right time because you're 100% right. Late 2021, early 2022 was when, especially on Twitter, email and SMS marketing agencies were becoming very, very popular because they were, you know, the market was eating it up at that point because it's exactly what you said, sort of, we're seeing a changing tides in the e-com market where, you know, acquisition was getting harder with, you know, all of the software changes and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, 
brands were wanting email and SMS marketing and, you know, the guys that got in early, I honestly, I'm not even one of the early guys, you know, those guys yeah. before me that were running a backup in 2021, but I feel like I was early enough where, you know, when I got into the game, I was able to get my first couple of clients, get, you know, those first rungs under my belt uh, pretty early. And then um, from there, you know, obviously you get the case studies, you get the momentum and you can just push it. So I definitely got lucky in that sense that, you know, and, you know, honestly, I went in blindly. Like I didn't really have any reason for picking email and SMS. I kind of just did it because I was like, I can write emails and, you know, make pretty designs. That's easy. Um, yeah. So I did that. Um, but yeah, it did time the market very, very well um, because it was very easy to get clients back then. And, uh, you know, once you get your first couple of case studies, it kind of just goes up and up from there. Yeah, and I sort of was. I think it was about perfect timing with um, Clavio really starting to take off as well. It really only yeah. seems like they've been around for a couple of years. Not sure exactly how long they've been around for, but even now people are still using um, softwares like Mailchimp and I don't know all the other <laughs> shit yeah. ones that brands probably shouldn't be using now with Clavio on the market. But yeah, w what's your experience with some of those other ones like Mailchimp, or have you just strictly been a Clavio only? Yeah, so I've used like pretty much all of them, to be honest. So, you know, I have experience bringing clients from other service providers like MailChimp, uh, you know, Active Campaign over into Klaviyo. Um, some clients want to stay in MailChimp, but I'm open to doing that. You know, I'd obviously, you know, prefer everyone. There's, there's intricate clients that I've worked with with different use cases, where it's yeah. like they're not necessarily e-commerce. Um, and in that sense, it makes makes sense to host them somewhere else like MailChimp or Active Campaign, just because, you know, we don't need the full tech stack that Klaviyo provides. Um, but if we're talking about e-commerce brands specifically, it is by far the best service provider that you can use, uh, better than MailChimp, better than all of these other ones. And they're continually updating the platform as well. It's like monthly now they're bringing out something new. Uh, they're changing, you know, the UI of everything, you know, really sort of making everything clean and Shopify just invested a ton of money into them as well, which means that, you know, if Shopify, which is the biggest, you know, e-commerce platform out there for actually hosting sites and, you know, your data. I mean, if they're investing all that money into Clavio, I mean, it kind of just makes sense to, you know, bet on that as well as an agency, right? And to, and to get all your clients over there. And plus, just to, with personal experience, I've had a ton of experience using Clavio. So actually last year while I was putting the agency, I was working for another agency as well, where my whole job was, you know, to use Clavio and, you know, work on some other client accounts and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, Clavio is by far the, the top dog in the email, in the email game for sure. Yeah, it's a bit like a triple whale as well. Obviously, they've got a data solution and Shopify just invested in them and it feels like there's something new coming out every week. And then like all the other competitors that are probably trying to start up and stuff like that are just getting absolutely crushed because yeah, they just keep coming out with features. They've got all this money behind them and they yeah. just keep improving week on week. Yeah, 100%, bro. Yeah, so what are some of the main differences you see between Clavio and Mailchimp? Is it just like design features or is it more features or what, it's what honestly it? like it's honestly everything i mean everything's just done and and like i said we're talking for e-commerce specifically here for e-commerce businesses everything is just done to a lot higher standard within clavio like everything's very much well better thought out in terms of you know the things we can do with automations as well as campaigns as well as segmenting as well as the ui i find you know the mailchimp yeah. ui a little bit clunky it's a little bit hard to sort of click around and find different things they got weird naming conventions for everything um, but in terms of the actual functionality and the use cases, Clavio provides a much sort of more in-depth strategy for you. Like, you know, for a great example here is, you know, segmenting for e-commerce businesses. So, you know, if you run a brand and you've got 50 different SKUs, right? You have all these different sort of colorways and names, not even SKUs, collections, all these different things. When you're creating your automations, you can, you know, use, uh, Clavio to, um, you know, filter people via 
what collections have added to their cart and these kind of things. So you can build these big, long, massive, detailed flows that, you know, just Klaviyo just doesn't, sorry, MailChimp just won't let you do. Yeah. Um, it's just in general, a lot more robust software and allows you to do a lot more. I think MailChimp's good if you know you're initially getting started out um, and you, you sort of want to get the basics down. But, you know, once you're operating at pretty high level, it does make sense for any e-com brand to move over onto the Klaviyo platform for sure. Yeah, cool. You're speaking pretty highly of them. You sound like a Clavio yeah. uh, salesperson. <laughs> I know, right? They should pay me. They should cut me a check or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, obviously you talked about automations a bit there. Do they have like full templates set up in there or what's the game? Um, yeah, they've got some basic templates. I don't really use them, to be honest. Um, yeah. With clients that we service, we have sort of our own eight core custom email flows that we build from scratch entirely. Um, the templates that they've got in Clavio are very, very basic. It's like, you know, trigger and then email flow where we yeah. like to go trigger different conditional splits based on what people were looking at, like we mentioned, um, and then take, you know, different customers down different journeys to make a really, really personalized experience. That, that's what it's all about. All it's really about is just using the features to make sure that every single email we're sending out is extremely personal. So, you know, for example, and, you know, the first example that comes to the top of mind, right, is the abandoned cart or checkout flow, email flow. Yeah. So what we're doing, instead of sending the same abandoned checkout email to every single person that comes through uh, the flow, what we're doing is we're sending different email flows depending on actions that they took on the uh, on the site or different emails, right? So for example, if they say you sell shoes and t-shirts, basic example, if they purchased shoes, what most brands will, sorry, if they, if they added shoes to their cart, what most brands will do is they'll send them, you know, just a stock standard abandoned checkout flow. Hey, you let these eat your checkout, whatever. What we like to do is we like to get more sort of in depth with that, where it's like, It'll be, hey, you left these shoes at checkout, but because we're using the splits, we know specifically that the only people receiving these emails are going to be people that looked at shoes. So what we'll do then is we'll extend the email and talk about all of the great benefits of the shoes specifically. And we'll do the same for t-shirts, hoodies, whatever it is, right? Um, so that's really how you can get personal. Um, but yeah, I like to use sort of more personal, personal get, take a more personalized approach rather than just using the base, you know, Klaviyo templates. Yeah, and everyone hate like you can spot it from a mile away. Everyone hates when they just see an email there. It's just generic as fuck, yep. and you're like, "Yeah, no, just click off straight away." And I'm yep. personally not somebody who shops via my email. I don't use it a whole lot. But would you say it's a growing industry, or what's this email in general, or yeah, just for e-commerce brands? Like I see it like from my perspective. Like I haven't done much with email or anything like that, yep. but. Like it takes time to grow your email list and it sort of like might take some time to get off the ground, but yeah. I, don't I know. mean, yeah, I feel like people, yeah, I get what you're saying. People, people have been saying email has been dead for years, right? Like, oh, email's dead. Like no one's checking their emails and it's just all a load of bullshit, right? Email is just like, it's an infinite, that's how you're looking at it as like an infinite asset, right? Where it's like, it's something that you own as a brand that none of your competitors have that you can utilize forever to drive revenue for effectively free, right? It's it's a thing where it's like if you've got an email list of 150,000 subscribers and you know that every time you send out a campaign, you're getting like a 2% placed order rate. That is something that you can consistently rely on to drive revenue, which I think is honestly in, in, in the current state of e-commerce right now is the most important thing. Having those traffic sources that you know you can you can consistently drive revenue from. Obviously, you know, with ad fluctuations go up and down, you know, depending on the time of year, that kind of thing. You know, with your email list, right, you send out this amount of emails this month, we're going to generate X, Y, Z amount of revenue. And that's a really good thing to have because um, you can always turn up that dial and send more emails and turn it back a little bit. And if the emails are value-based, um, you know, you're going to you know, drive 
you know, ton more revenue, you know, sending 15 to 20 campaigns rather than sending, you know, five campaigns. Um, so in terms of growing, I think it's always going to be a, a marketing channel that, you know, needs to be utilized, not only for e-commerce brands, but for everybody, you know, I'm delving into sort of a bit of a personal space brand as uh, personal brand space as well. So I've yep. got a couple of clients doing uh, that side of email as well. Um, and I think email is going to be around for a very, very long time. I don't see it going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, for sure. And you just touched on like the ad fluctuations and stuff like that. I'm not yeah. sure if you heard about it, but over the weekend, Facebook um, had a pretty massive fuck up and something went yeah. wrong in the algorithm and costs just shot through the roof, overspent budgets, probably hundreds of millions of dollars lost on accounts with no returns for the e-commerce brands. Um, yeah. And that's something you really... Uh, you can control to a certain extent, but definitely not the algorithm and <laughs> the fucks up like that. It's pretty crazy. Um, eh? And it's funny you say that because um, I was speaking to someone this morning and, and you'd know, you know, this person very well based out of Australia. I'll, I'll keep him anonymous for now just because um, he is anonymous online, and, <laughs> but he, he runs from crazy numbers and he's spending anywhere from like you know, 50 to hundred grand a day on ads. Yeah. Um, and he was telling me the exact same thing. He was like, his ad account was fine, but um it was like, yeah, like they've just apparently they laid off a bunch of employees, and you know things started going south. That um, with the ad accounts, apparently they're running through people's budget in like you know three hours, this kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, crazy environment. Yeah, luckily I wasn't impacted too much. I think I had like one ad set that probably overspent a bit more than it should have, but yeah. in the grand scheme of the whole account, it was like not even 10% of the budget. So I wasn't hit too badly, but yeah, some other accounts, yeah, hearing some crazy stories right now and that a bit crazy. of a conspiracy be maybe behind it. Obviously they're um, letting go of a lot of people. So maybe trying to keep a couple with some extra revenue or something like yeah. that. But um, yeah, definitely some weird times going on. Yeah, man. Now, um, you spoke about um, your email list and if you've already got one, um, which is great if you do have one, but how are you going about actually growing an email list, maybe from scratch or maybe they've got like 5,000 people on it? Like how do, you, how do you get people onto that email list? Yeah, so one thing you always want to steer clear of is buying email lists. I've seen this like a lot and I've worked with clients that have bought email lists to try and you know drive revenue from a certain like, you know, niche of people that it just in my experience that never, never works well. Maybe some people make it work. Maybe some brands can do it effectively and get, you know, good conversion on ice cold traffic. Um, but I've just never, never seen it work. I've worked with clients whose, you know, deliverability has been shot through the roof just because they've, you know, been sending these emails to people that haven't opted in. You know, no one opens it, no one clicks it. Therefore, they just, you know, mess up their sending domain. It's nearly impossible to reverse. Um, but the best way to grow an email list is always going to be organically. So, on-site sign-up forms, embedded sign-up forms, collecting emails at checkout when a customer places an order. These are all organic ways to collect emails and the most effective ways to collect emails as well because realistically, you only want to have people on your email list that are either buyers or have high intent to buy. You know, it's the same reason I say that unsubscribes on an email list aren't a bad thing because realistically, you want your email list to be an asset, like I said before, you know you can drive revenue for and the best way to ensure that is to ensure that people are high intent to buy or have already previously purchased. In terms of really tactical stuff, homepage pop-ups, um, you know, collection page pop-ups, all these kind of things work really well. Always on exit intent, I think it's just a better user experience. Um, but also, um, if you're really looking to grow the email list fast, uh, maybe you're a new brand and you don't have a big email list and you really sort of want to make a big push, a cart page pop-up is going to be is going to quite literally double 
the amount of people coming through over onto your email list. So when people add something to cart, have a pop-up that says, hey, sign up to your list and we get 10% off your cart. It's effectively the same as the homepage pop-up. You're just yeah. targeting people with a lot higher intent to buy. Now, yes, you will definitely sacrifice short-term margin 100%, but the long-term benefit is obviously building that infinite asset that you can then leverage to generate a ton of revenue down the line. So cart page pop-ups are, are really, really good. Um, Homepage pop-ups, I think, should be standard for every single brand. They should all have homepage and collection page pop-ups, these kind of thing. Cart page are op optimal depending on how serious you are about uh, growing your list. And obviously, you'll also collect emails from people that come through and purchase from you as well. So organic is the way, and those are kind of the main strategies that I would recommend. Yeah, because I run Facebook ads uh, predominantly, and then mm -hmm. we typically don't like to use email signups or anything like that through our ads because obviously we're trying to push conversions um, on sort of that first touch point. Hopefully it doesn't always happen um, yep. and then get them into the funnel. But with emails, we just sort of seem to have a really low quality. Maybe we're not doing it or putting as much effort into them, sort of low budgets, not really targeting the copy or whatever, but we mm -hmm. do seem to get lower quality uh, from those paid like pushing email list and that sort of thing do you tend yeah. to find that as well do you do much on that side of things it's, it's, it's not really something that we we do we, we mainly focus on converting um visitors that are coming through to the site yeah uh, but in saying that as well it is something we're probably going to be testing out on one of the personal brands i run uh, a guy you know as well on twitter uh, yeah. we're going to run paid ads to his newsletter and uh see how that goes and um you know with obviously the goal of growing that really really fast so we want to hit ten thousand subs on that newsletter in a couple of months so it's a big thing to tackle but i think you know we can we can definitely do it and i'll, I'll uh, get back to you on how the paid ads goes because it's, it's nothing i've done before so i don't really feel qualified to uh speak <laughs> yeah that's all good man um so you spoke a bit about um offering a discount on the email signups is there any sort yeah. of other strategies you use other than discounts 100 percent. and i and i say this a lot the best way to find out what's going to work best is to go through and test a bunch of different offers. So that's something we'll do with clients. You know, they might be running a 10% off that's working really, really well. We'll come in and we'll test, you know, a free X or free shipping or free product with your purchase, whatever it might yeah. be, um, all these kind of different offers. And you can really get creative with it. You know, you can create Shopify coupons or Klaviyo coupons. Free shipping tends to work well. Um, and, yeah, and what know, I will say about- Just speaking about shipping, I, I brought a new bed the other day. Shipping was 150 bucks and I was like, oh man. Exactly. I was like, I'm almost just exited just because of that. Yeah, it's rough, eh? And um, with that as well, you got to understand sort of based on sort of your average order value, what's going to sound more enticing, right? So if you're doing, you know, in terms of a dollar off versus percentage off, if you sell high ticket, a dollar off is always going to sound a lot better than a percentage off, Right. But if you sell low ticket, the percentage off is going to sound a lot better than the dollar off, right? So for example, if you sell a $50 product and, you know, you say, hey, you can either say, hey, get 10% off your order, or, hey, get five bucks off your order. In my opinion, the 10% is going to sound a lot more enticing. Whereas yeah. if you sell a $1,000 product, it's going to be, hey, get $100 off your, so, hey, get 10% off your order or yeah. 100 bucks, right? And if someone's hearing, oh, 100 bucks off my order, that's a lot more enticing than 10%, just because 10% is kind of like, it doesn't, you don't really sort of calculate that in your head until after, like, whereas a hundred dollars, like, okay, 10% yeah. is a hundred bucks. Like that's, that, that's some serious cash I'm saving here. Right. Yeah. So you kind of got to, you know, think about it that way. You think about your brand, think about the, you know, your, the order value and then build, you know, the best offer. And you might find that a you know dollar percentage off isn't even the best. You know, the free product or the free shipping is going to be better. But it's just about testing to find out what's going to work best. You know, all these questions are all solved with testing. Everything. <laughs> I, I say we never, we never ask questions 
about anything. We always just test it. If we have an inkling something might work, we just run a test on it and see how it Yeah, goes. one of my clients hit me up on Slack the other day. They sent like three UGCs and were like, oh, do you think this is good to run? And I was like, yeah, let's just test it. And she's like, yeah. is this okay to test? And I was like, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> like just test anything and everything. It's like, yep. oh, like we're wasting time just asking the question. Just try it out. That's exactly it. And, and it's the only way you, because the thing is, if you don't test it, these questions are going to be in your head for like, you know, oh, if we change this, would that have happened? Like we might've done better on this. It's like, yeah. just, you, you just got to run the test to sort of solidify it. And then keep running those tests as well. That testing never stops. Even when you found something that's winning, you know, there's probably sign up forms. I think you do find a winning offer for sure. But in other aspects, for example, subject lines, content is a big one. Um, all these different things. These are things we can continually test to try and push it and push it further and further. Yeah, for sure. And just speaking on success of an email, like what do you, how do you measure that? Um, a lot of it, a lot of it comes down to obviously your core metrics, so your open rate, click through rate, uh, and your place order value, um, or dollar cost, you know, per recipient. Um, you know, on a, like, you know, industry average, if you look it up on Google, they're going to say it's like 20, 25% open rate, which in my opinion is very poor. If yeah. you have good deliverability and you have a list of customers that are high intent or have purchased before, you should be pushing anywhere from 40 to 50% open rates on, you know, 180 day engaged list. So um, these are people that have opened or clicked emails in the last 180 days. If you're sending emails to that segment and your deliverability is on point, you should be pushing, you know, a 40, 50% open rate, the minimum 2% click rate, and then driving consistent revenue as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So you don't look at things like ROAS? Is that like a metric in, uh, email land or? Well, well, think about it like, like, so ROAS is return on ad spend, right? So ROAS only applies in, in, in instance where we're. Yep. you know, spending money to get it back. Whereas an email, you don't pay to send out an email. It's what well, technically you do because you pay for the software, but that's the only yep. thing you're paying for. You're not actually paying, you know, to buy space in these people's inboxes like you are on Facebook ads. So ROAS is relevant in that sense because it, other than paying for the software like Clavio to send the emails and they will charge you on the amount of emails you send, but you know, you get you know, hundreds of thousands yeah. of email sends a month, depending on your plan. Uh, that's really the only thing you're paying for. But other than that, I mean, you can effectively send to these people for free. So yeah. ROAS in that sense doesn't really doesn't really apply. It's more so of a case of like, okay, cool. How can we consistently drive revenue over time? Because burning an email list is a very real thing. And we can talk more about that if you want. Uh, like, you know, yeah, dive can, into uh, that. Um, yeah, I've heard about people getting like IP bans and stuff like that. It's yeah. not just their email that gets banned. Uh, yeah. yeah, if you want to dive a bit into that and how you can sort of protect yourself. Yeah, that'd be yeah. Good. yeah. What, what are, there's two, so two different things. There's deliverability and then burning an email list. So with the list, it's more specifically about the customers on the list rather than the actual, um, sorry, it's got a message, rather than the actual, uh, you know, deliverability itself. Um, so when I say burning an email list, what I mean is basically customers receiving the same or email subscribers receiving the same message over and over where it gets to a point where they come non-receptive to the marketing emails you're sending. So the most common case where this happens is when a brand sending too many discount campaigns. If the yeah. only time you send an email, you're sending discount campaigns every single time, Hey, here's 20% off. Hey, here's 30% off. Hey, here's 40% off. What you're doing is you're training your list to only buy whenever you're sending, whenever they're receiving a discount, right? So if we've sent them for the entire month, six discount campaigns where we've just been giving them discounts, right? And the next month we're like, oh, we actually want to try some content and see how that goes this month. And you send, you know, three content emails at the start of the month. 
because the list is so used to seeing those those, those discount emails, yeah. right? They're gonna they're gonna hold off until they see another discount email because they know oh last month they sent six, they're gonna send some this month, right? It's really sort of understanding that kind of thing, um, as well as making sure that all the emails are value based as well. Like if you're sending just you know crap emails or crap copy and shitty design, um, you know people aren't gonna you know have a good experience opening and seeing your emails. So you're basically training people like oh, okay, just you know yeah this email from this company, you've seen it before, Mark spam, see ya, right? So it's really important that you mix up the content. I say, you know, five content focus emails for every discount campaign. Um, you know, and if the content emails are good, you will still drive revenue from those campaigns. That's the thing. Yeah. Content emails doesn't mean we're not drive, we're not trying to drive any sales. The content emails will drive sales if the content's actually good. So for example, testimonial campaigns, they work really, really well. Uh, UGC repurposed campaigns work really, really well. And, you know, if the content's good here, you'll drive us like a ton of revenue. But it just means when the sales email that's focused around you know driving the most sales with a discount comes around, you're just gonna lap up all the sales because it's like, you know, they've they've yeah. you know received all these content emails, they're loving it, you know, content's really good, sales email comes around, it's like bang, and that's when a lot of people are gonna come through and buy it. Um, so content, how, yeah, five five content emails for one sales email is usually good. Yeah, that's a good rule of thumb. Now, how yeah. do you take a brand that's been sending like hundreds of discount emails, like over say the last two years and like their audience is just like burnt out? Like how do you overcome those issues or do you sort of stay away from those brands that have done that? It's tough. Like I haven't had too many instances where it's been a huge, huge problem. There's definitely been a couple of clients that I've worked with that have had that issue where they've just, it's not even so much the fact that they're sending a ton of discount campaigns, just the emails they're sending with this crap, like the copy yeah. and shit, the design was bad. Um, and in that instance, um, it's really sort of just about, you know, improving the strategy as a whole and re-engaging the entire list slowly over a course of period of time. And, you know, what, what will happen with big lists like that that haven't been, you know, maybe contact in a while or have just been sending crap content. Initially, when we start sending campaigns, you're probably going to get a lot of people unsubscribed, but that's okay because it means that, you know, the people that do stay, we know we're going to be able to drive consistent revenue from those people. So, you know, nothing really changes in that sense. Like we're still going to send, you know, great emails that look good and that's going to be the main focus. Um, it's just more of a case where it's going to be probably a slower process of getting to that point where we can drive consistent revenue just because obviously a lot of people are going to fall off and unsubscribe and that's fine. Then we have to build the list back up again kind of thing. So it's the same process, just takes a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Makes sense. Now yeah. with um, obviously protecting that email list and yeah, your IP addresses and that sort of thing, what are some best practices? Like are you sending an email to every person that lands on the side or like how do you go about it? Um, so the question was around deliverability. Like sort of yeah, how to make just sure that protecting gonna... that and yeah, just make sure you're not pissing people off pretty much. Yeah, I mean, as long as the content emails are good, you can send, you know, 10 to 15 campaign emails a month. You know, all the automations we send are long and detailed as well. As long as the content's good, that's fine. Um, we email the list, our clients list often. Um, but in terms of deliverability, I mean, it's really just important that you're getting a couple of key things right. So you got to think, you got to think about deliverability as almost like a point system. It's not literal, but it's a good way to think about it, where it's like, if you send an email that gets absolutely zero engagement, it's going to flag with inbox providers like Gmail that this is a spam email and nobody wants to receive this email. Let's start pushing them into the, into the promotions tab. And if you're landing into the promotions tab and, you know, less and less people are going to start opening your emails, eventually you'll find yourself landing up in the spam folder, right? So deliverability is a mix of a few things. It's, you know, how people are engaging with the emails as well as content, as well as do you have the basic setup in terms of IP and your DNS records set correctly? So as long as all three of those things are good, the content's good, you've got some HTML in your emails, 
uh, you know, your list is engaged and, you know, people are opening the emails. So, you know, it's telling these inbox providers that the content's actually valuable and your, you know, basics are covered in terms of your DNS settings, then you're pretty much good in terms of deliverability, right? That's the way to go about it on the front end. Reversing bad deliverability is a whole nother, whole nother, whole nother beast. <laughs> yeah, we probably don't have time to jump into that today and a bit of a um, frustrating subject. I, I bet you it's pretty much like talking to Facebook support. That it's just useless and it's very hard to fix anything that goes wrong. Uh, to be honest with, with Clavio, I mean, there, like, there's a pretty you know, clear-cut route to you know, reversing bad deliverability. It's just yeah. looking at sort of the, you know, every client's unique situation, what they've been doing wrong, why they're landing in spam. And then, you know, putting in, in, you know, plans to fix that. I actually have something on Twitter dropping about deliverability next week, but it's okay, exclusive cool. to e-commerce <laughs> businesses only because I don't want the source getting out to anyone. <laughs> so only for e-com brands. Yeah, cool. So, um, no, that sounds pretty good if um, Clavio has a pretty good support channel. Yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah, Clavio Sports great. They're, they're really, really good. I know Facebook gives you sort of nightmares. I don't even with, bother. Uh, with, with, yeah, support. <laughs> yeah, it's shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, okay. So obviously we're talking about deliverability and then AI has also taken the world over by storm. Is there any yep. sort of things that are flagging within Gmail if you've created an AI generated email or anything like that? Not not so far. Not 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 that I've seen. Um, in fact, it's not, not really something I've you know looked into, but on the topic of AI, I mean, we're using it a ton. I mean, all my copywriting guys are trained on, you know, how to leverage AI to write faster copy, not necessarily... Um, so to write faster copy at, while maintaining the high standard. So yeah, it's really important that you learn how to use AI. I think if a you know if you've never used AI before and you try to use it to write all of your copy, it's going to be quite literally shit. Yeah. Just because it's AI copy, like people can read AI copy and go, okay, yeah, this this guy generated that from AI. Like, yeah, I'm always like, finding myself in Chat GPT when I'm creating copy. I was like, can you just not sound like a robot? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But in saying that as well, it's good for a couple of things. So it's good for research. Like it's pretty much just like a fast Google. Like if you want to know the specific pain points of, you know, someone suffering with a specific acute problem. Yeah. Tell me the pain or what are the day-to-day struggles of someone that suffers with X bang, right? It'll give you a ton of, you know, and then you can go deeper. It's like, how might this affect someone's day-to-day life? And it'll give you sort of the really root level pain points. That's a good use case for it. And prompting it as well properly is key. So um, getting really specific with what you, what you want it to do. So for example, tell it about, so a really good use case right now is if you're trying to nail like the brand voice of a company, what I've been telling my guys to do, it's like, Hey, if you're struggling to, you know, especially, you know, for things like, you know, girly brands and, you know, things that are really sort of out of the realm of some of my guys that, that write my copy, it's yeah. like, just go through onto the site, copy like an about section, a blog section, um, paste it into chat GPT and say, all right, this is the brand voice we want to emulate. Now using this, now keeping this exact same style, rewrite this copy that I've written to match that. And it will basically yeah. rewrite your email in the, in the style of voice that's featured on the site. That's where the, that's where the power yeah. is in AI. Yeah, it's so powerful. And I pretty much have a, just like a notion doc of like one per client. And it's pretty much just telling chat GPT who this business is, what are the main USPs, that sort of thing. And then every time I go to chat GPT, I just copy paste that straight in and then yep. saves me having to retype it. And then chat GPT knows exactly who that brand is. And then yep. we can go from there. So that's a productivity hack, I guess, um, that we use quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. ChatGPT's it's good. It's good if you know how to use it. Uh, I still think it's very early. Um, 
But if you know how to leverage it right, you know how to give it the right prompt, it's 100%. Yeah, it's valuable. Yeah. And like you said earlier, it's like, it's not perfect and it does sound like a robot. Um, but yeah, coming up with ideas and stuff like that. Yeah. Just pretty much sit on it all day. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. Oh yeah, man. It's so easy to get caught up in. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. And then it starts planning your life. You're like, Oh, what should I eat for dinner? Meal prep me. Exactly. <laughs> stuff but like it's that. easy to get caught up in it as well. Cause sometimes like you find yourself spending more time trying to prompt chat GPT, chat GPT to write the right yeah. things then you would have just sitting there writing it yourself and you would have got it, you know, dialed down perfectly. I use it more as an efficiency tool rather than trying to fill a void of skill. That's the thing. It's like, I yeah. don't think that a bad copywriter can use chat GPT to write good copy. I think no. you really, you have to leverage it as an efficiency tool rather than a tool to, you know, mask inefficiency or, you know, mask your personal like like where you lack in in, yeah. in in your in your ability to write like like i think where the highest leverage people like the highest leverage thing you can do with chat gpt is take a good copywriter and teach them how to leverage chat gpt for higher efficiency that's the most important thing yeah and i guess once chat gpt come out a lot of people have just been copy pasting emails into clavio or yeah. mailchimp or whatever they're using and not really sort of setting up a whole heap of like uh, personalized sequences and stuff like that um, mm -hmm. now that's probably a really common mistake at the moment what other common mistakes are you seeing throughout the industry in terms of with ai or just in general oh just in general email marketing data yeah, marketing, whatever. It's a good question. There's probably a lot. I mean, there's a couple of key things. I actually wrote a thread on this not, not long ago. Um, one would just be not sending enough emails. Like if you have really good, look high, the high quality emails, you can definitely send a lot more emails than most people think. Not having enough emails and flows, not segmenting correctly. So blasting a 50,000 person list rather than finding out who's engaged and who's not. Yeah. There's a time and place where you wouldn't send to the whole list. Absolutely. But in most instances, you want to send to engaged subscribers uh oh man the list goes on i could go for ages and ages and ages um well have you got a horror just, story there maybe you've opened up an account uh, and you've gone what the fuck is going on oh it happens all the time man i mean from other agencies and just brands that don't know what they're doing like it's not it's not necessarily that they've you know you know done it's not necessarily that, it's more so just a case where if someone stuffed up their email marketing they just don't know how to do it properly like yeah. it's, it's, it's quite a niche skill. It's quite a unique skill as, as Facebook ads is, as you know, Google ads is as anything is right. And it's more so a case of someone, you know, that might be marketing manager or something that doesn't really know email that effectively has gone in and, you know, tried to figure it out themselves and just completely, you know, stuffed it all up. And then, you know, it's pretty easy to reverse in most cases, but other than that, I mean, it's usually just a case of someone with, with, you know, not enough knowledge trying to click around and figure it out for themselves. Yeah, I know if I was to go in and create an email campaign, it would just be like pretty much just template and <laughs> copied straight from ChatGPT. Yeah, the same um, would go for me if I try to try to run a Facebook ad, that's for sure. Yeah, and it would turn out dog shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, cool. All right. Um, yeah, yeah, that's my next question. So um, how does sort of, do you work with many other agencies that are running Facebook ads and email marketing at the same time? And how do they sort of connect to each other? Other, sorry, other agencies or oh, other like, brands? Like other brands that are maybe running ads themselves, whether it's Facebook or Google, or you're working with other agencies yep. in combination with email marketing. Like how, do, how does it all tie in together? Yeah, so, so, so your paid social, so your Facebook, you know, your TikTok, whatever it is, Pinterest, Google, all this stuff, it's an acquisition strategy where email is a retention strategy. So the best thing that we can do is take, you know, all of those people that we're paying for eyeballs from, 
bringing them like that are coming to the site. So we're paying for those eyeballs to the site, paying for that site traffic. And where email ties into that is the goal of email, or at least the goal of the lead capture for email is to convert as many of those people that visit the site into email list subscribers, right? Because you know, the worst thing you can do as an e-commerce brand is be paying for eyeballs and not capturing the data, which is what everybody is doing that isn't collecting emails, right? If your brand isn't collecting emails, you're basically paying for eyeballs to the site with zero intent to capture that data. Because once you've captured it via email, that's an email that you can send to for effectively forever until they unsubscribe, right? Yeah. So that's kind of how it all ties in. If you're a brand, you pay for you know eyeballs to the site, what you want to be doing is capturing as much of that data as possible through your email channel and through your on-site sign-up forms, right? So that means that we can consistently remarket to these people and you're getting more bang for your buck from your Facebook ads and all those dollars that you're spending on Facebook because it means that you know we're going to be able to market to these people that are coming through time and time again and we're going to be able to get purchases from them time and time again. Yeah, cool. Now, obviously, um, I'm one of those people driving traffic to the website, but I don't really have any sort of stats or anything like that on email marketing. But what's like, I know it would vary industry to industry as well, but what sort of average open rates are you, uh, not open rates, average opt-in rates are you hoping for on mm. those like homepage opt-ins and stuff like that? So of the people that actually view the sign-up form, so, you know, with things like exit intent sign-up forms, you know, delayed sign-up forms, not everybody's going to be seeing them, um, which is kind of how we want it to be honest, because we don't want to ruin the user experience. Yeah. But of the people that actually see the sign-up form, a good range to shoot for is anywhere from honestly 5 to 15%. I mean, I've got clients doing, you know, 11% sign-up forms just because we've really dialed, dialed in the offer. But if you're consistently pulling around like 7%, you're doing well. I mean, there's okay. definitely room for optimization. But of the people that view it, if you're converting, you know, seven to fifteen percent of those people, you're doing, you're doing, you know, swimmingly, right? Yeah, compared to cool. industry average, that's for sure. Yeah, and now obviously that's just email. What happens when you tack on uh, SMS onto there as well? Do you see those drop off a lot, or do you see sort of similar results there? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really affect the email collection because what we do is we always do a strategy. Well, for us anyway, we do a strategy. To, I'll reel it back in a bit. So, rule of thumb with startup forms: the more sort of input fields you have on um, on a single page. Yeah. The more input fields you have on a single page is means that, you know, th there's going to be a drop off in the amount of people actually coming through and signing up. So what we do, so that doesn't happen and we're still collecting the same amount of email subscribers is we break it up. So we'll have email sub on the first page. Hey, come through and sign up, you know, name and first name, maximum two on the first page, submit. And on the second page, then we'll ask for the SMS and a really great way to convert as many people over onto the SMS list and give us their phone numbers is by offering them a little bit more for coming over and joining SMS. So we'll give them maybe 10% off, 15% off is the simplest example if they come through and sign up to SMS. So yeah. that means, right, if, you know, either way, our email opt-in rate is going to stay the exact same because everything's on that front page. They're going to subscribe to email, great. It's not until that second page they get hit with the SMS sign up. And then in that instance, if they don't sign up, that's fine because we still have that email, right? Yeah. And then... That's a good way to tackle it. And then would you find a phone number to be more valuable than an email? Yeah, 100%. Definitely. Um, phone numbers, like, I mean, the, the open rate on SMS is something ridiculous. It's like 90%. Like some of my clients, we get like a 30% click rate on SMS. Like it's definitely yeah. more value because it's more personal. Like, you know, no one's checking their emails 24 hours a day, but if someone gets a text, they're, they're, they're looking at that straight away, right? Yeah, so I'm like, sort of, it's like value. when you get a... Um, 
letter in the mailbox and you're like, oh, fuck, what have I done wrong? It's probably a fine, speeding fine or a red light or whatever. It's yeah. sort of the same when I get a text message. I'm like, nobody texts me. What have I done wrong? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I'm yeah, like exactly. sitting there like, what's going on? And it's just like, oh, Domino's Pizza has like 10% off tonight. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it's almost like that, That it's almost like a, like just like a, you know, a, a, a response that, you know, it's wired into people's brains. It's like text, bang, phone. Like, 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 where's my phone? Kind of thing. Like everybody's checking their phone when they get a text, even if it's just to read it, right? Yeah. That's why you see such high open rates on these texts. So, yeah, text SMS numbers is definitely more valuable, but at the same time, you have to be very careful with SMS because there's a lot of compliance laws around it. And if you don't comply, you can face a ton of fines. So, yeah, yeah. you gotta be is it more strict than email? Yes, hundred percent. So, with SMS, you need specific permission for opt-in. So. I, so unlike with email where we can just say, hey, enter your details here, uh, with SMS, they have to tick a box that says, yes, I consent to receiving SMS messages. And there's very specific messaging that has to be stated on sign-up forms and they have to actually actively click the button in order for them to be you know, legally consented to receive your SMS messages. So that's you know a super important thing. I think it was some big brand like Victoria's Secret or something like that was fined millions and millions of dollars for you know not complying with SMS laws. So um you can, de- yeah, it can definitely go somebody would have got in trouble <laughs> yeah it can go south very very quickly if you're not you know following the right protocols and and you know rules around it yep cool do you have any sort of like resources that you visit to to keep up to date on all the latest changes on policies or stuff like that or is just it just like just google google yeah it's like clavio yeah. compliance like like, like clavio has a ton of resources their compliance is like you, know, you can see what the laws are there like like what, what what do i have to do to be compliant clavio it'll give you a ton of resources yeah it's yeah. mainly just google and it, it doesn't change too much to be often like to be honest in terms of the laws yeah. and stuff um but yeah it is good to be up to date with it all though for sure yeah i'm like facebook sort of changing their policies every two minutes <laughs> yeah that's all good so obviously there's a lot going on with ai and um privacy concerns and stuff like Mm -hmm. that where do you see email marketing and sms going over say the next three to five years i mean i think it's still going to be growing a channel for sure i think more and more brands are going to adopt it i think ai is going to play a bigger role but you know i think that's going to be standard across not only e-commerce but you know industries across the world you know i don't think e-commerce is the only one that's going to be affected by ai i think it's going to play a more and more prominent role i don't think people should be scared of it um but i think people should learn how to utilize it because it's a case where it's like and i heard this good quote the other day it's like ai won't replace copywriters but it will replace the copywriters that don't know how to utilize it they'll be replaced by the people that do that's the thing because all of a sudden clients will want their you know it'll go from you know people being able to churn out, you know, a couple emails a week to, you know, these AI copyright, these copywriters are utilizing AI to still produce the high quality of emails that they were before, um, just at a much faster rate, you know, eating up all the market share and taking home all the clients just because you know, they're able to churn out copy at such a higher level. So I think that AI in general is going to be growing, whether you like it or not, over the next couple of years. And I think the people that leverage it are going to be in the best spot to capitalize and make the most money, 100%. Yeah, I think that scale bit's important because yeah, how I use ChatGPT, I might come up with a piece of ad copy and then I'll just put it in ChatGPT and be like, give me three other um, variations of this, maybe yep. some different tones of voices or whatever, and I'll spit it out. Yep. I'm like, well, I wouldn't have thought of that because I don't think like that. But the AI is just like, oh, yeah, I can do all that in exactly. 10 seconds. And then you might have a bit of 
piece of better copy out of that. So yeah, I love it. Exactly. And even if it's just for ideating, like, hey, give me some ideas for a tweet or give me some ideas for this email, um, you know, make this email read better kind of thing. What it doesn't have is the human element. I think, you know, yeah. will at least, at least for the next couple of years, um, humans will always have, you know, a personal touch to, you know, copy and writing that can't be replicated by AI. Like you said, if AI can be very, very robotic. It can sound like it's been written right, like a robot almost. Yeah. Like, because when you think about it, it's like, it's almost the grammatical errors and the sentence structure errors that make the, the copy read properly. Because it's like, AI will give you a piece of copy that is quite literally perfect in every single sense. And it's because of that, they, they select the right words the right, you know, sentence structures, the right, the right commas here and there. And it's because of that, that it feels unnatural. It's almost yeah. interesting because everyone's been so inclined to reading copy that isn't that perfect in terms of sentence structure that, you know, is more conversational. And so when AI spits it out, it's obviously perfect. Everything sentence structure is beautiful. So it doesn't really compute properly in people's brains. It's like, this doesn't feel right. Like, yeah, that does. That's, that I feel like that's where that robotic, yeah, I feel like that's where that robotic, robotic sense comes from, where it's like, it, it just it just feels a little bit weird because we're not used to reading copy that's like laid out with the sentence structures you know of what it is so perfectly like it, it just yeah it just flows i know. definitely notice it in my emails because i'm subject to all the online marketing gurus and stuff like yeah. that trying to sell me their courses but yeah. like you can tell different uh good copywriters apart 100%. because it's just conversational and there's mistakes and they say like they use their slang and it's all broken down into like one line or two line sentences. Whereas an AI might spit out a whole paragraph and mm -hmm. it's because of TikTok ruining attention spans and everything like that. Uh, it's just like, you look at a paragraph and you're like, I'm not fucking reading that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think, I think there's a case for long form copy, but in direct, direct consumer emails, you've got to use them. You've got to use it sparingly. You've got to definitely use it. Um, here and there but in saying that the response still works very very well people will read long form uh, emails as well as landing pages if it's the right messaging and it's targeting the right type of person 100 yeah cool now do you have any um questions to fire back on me before we finish off no i mean what, what what's your take on the uh the whole industry as a whole right now the e-com industry where do you see it going like with obviously ads not only the ads just Maybe for agency, I feel like we haven't really touched much on, you know, agency life and that kind of stuff because we've been talking a lot about e-com. So, um, I don't know, man, talk to us about like challenges you're facing right now at the agency, you know, how you're planning on scaling and, you know, yeah, just basically cool. the journey you're on right now. Yeah, so when I first started four years ago, it was a lot easier to sign clients. Uh, agencies were sort of a, a new thing, you could say, yeah. especially online marketing. Like most websites you'd go to back then didn't even have the Facebook pixel installed, for example. So you'd just be yeah. able to email or ring somebody up and be like, hey, bro, I can collect all this data for you. Then we can yeah, retarget yeah, yeah. people. Uh, so that used to be a lot easier to sign clients for sure. Whereas now a lot of, agent, uh, a lot of brands have been burnt um, and pretty much what I'm finding at the moment is brands just want honest communication back and forth and just sort of know that you are doing the work to push their brand forward. That's what I'm finding a lot at the moment. Yep. Uh, so my client communications through the roof, like even if they don't reply to me, I've got one client at the moment hasn't replied to me for like a month, but I'm just sending a message in there, just updating them every couple of days. I know he reads them. Uh, so just keeping up on top of that sort of stuff and obviously trying to um, produce the best results you possibly can. 
Um, but yeah, I see the industry growing, obviously more and more people becoming online and spending more and more time in their own homes, or even if they do go to work, um, then they can't be bothered doing anything after work. So they're just sitting at home on their phones anyway, looking to shop or consume Netflix or whatever. So more and more attention is going into the palms. So yeah, it's just going to keep growing. Yeah, hundred percent, man. And, and I, I definitely see. You know, agencies, e-commerce as a whole, you know, e-com agencies, you know, e-commerce brands, this kind of thing, just growing and, uh, you know, exponentially. Um, you know, people like to say this and that is saturated. I truly believe that nothing is ever too saturated for anybody to succeed as long as you have the right skills. Like, you know, if you took, you know, one of the best e-com guys in the world that has, you know, a portfolio of 15 different brands and nets like $100 million a year, and you say, go run up an email marketing agency, you could probably take it to 500K a month and like, you know, a year or two just because you know the you know he's got the skill sets right like this idea that you know this this service is saturated this industry is saturated it's all it's all just bullshit it's just people that don't know how to you know navigate their way through it that kind of you know try something for three months doesn't work and then they just sort of throw on the towel and go, ah it's saturated you know yeah and yeah. like even like there's so many brands out that are still being burnt at the moment. They're just sort of stuck yeah. with that agency and they're really not sure of where to go or whatever. So if you do time like an outreach, maybe hit them up in the DMs or whatever at the right time, then um, yeah, they're more than happy to have a conversation because they're really frustrated of their results, yeah. especially post COVID when a lot of brands did start. Obviously there was a massive boom in online marketing and then all the problems that we're now seeing come into effect, like shipping rates and stuff like that, logistics, it was probably a bit worse during COVID, but we're still having those effects. And brands are sort of struggling with their profit margins at the moment and stuff like that. So it, then you top that, uh, put on top an agency that's underperforming as well. Brands are starting to really feel the pinch. Um, yeah. Yeah. Does that sort of make sense with you guys yeah, as well? 100%. And it, yeah. 100%. Are you hearing I mean, that always- in? Are you hearing that in your sales calls saying, oh, we don't want to have to keep paying for new customers. Like we want to retain them as well. Yeah, 100%. Retention's key. Um, with the agency problem as well, I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, there's these big, you know, conglomerate agencies that are just absolutely terrible. Their service is terrible. They don't know how to deliver. Um, yeah. And saying that as well, I mean, it's good for us because, I mean, if you can genuinely provide a really good service and, you know, you've got a great team that communicates effectively and there's an ROI on what you're offering, I mean, you know, word of mouth is going to spread pretty quickly. But um, in terms of retaining customers, I mean, yeah, I think it's becoming more and more important. I mean, you know, ads are getting more expensive. Um, you know, I think it's still an essential part of the business. Obviously, you need to be bringing those new eyeballs. But at the same time, you need to be capturing that traffic coming to the site as well. And email is yeah. the perfect way to do that. Yeah. As for um, <laughs> increasing costs, like today's the cheapest that you got to get an ad ever so like you can't go backwards to 2016 facebook ads like the perfect time sort of is now i know i might be a bit biased in saying that as a facebook advertiser but it's only getting more and more expensive by the day 100 percent. it's going to keep on that trajectory as well i mean it goes for everything you know what i mean second first best time to get into it was five years ago second best times right now because it's only going to keep getting you know gradually you know harder but it goes for everything you know if you're trying to start a business you know, the best time to do it would have been five years ago, right? Because you have <laughs> yeah. five years behind you of stacking those skill sets and you probably would have built something of value. I think the second best time is now. You know what I mean? There's no point in waiting any longer. And, you, you know, if you think like, oh, too late, whatever, then that'll be a reality. But if you're like, okay, you know, spent the last five years doing probably not what I should have been doing, but that doesn't, you know, that, that you know, I can't, I can't look back and, you know, I'm going to give it, give it my all moving ahead to, you know, build and grow something that I'm proud of. 
Yeah. And like I had no marketing experience when I come into this just through uh, YouTube University and different courses yep. and stuff like that. And now I have a skill set where I can pretty much go to any business and improve it just because I know how to just communicate with um, cold audience as well, just direct response marketing, just getting people eyeballs on certain things through certain platforms and stuff like that. So yeah, I have yep. a skill set where I pretty much won't be begging for money or working in a factory ever again, that's for sure. Exactly right, bro. Exactly right. It's all about the skill set, 100%. Well, there you have it. Unfortunately, this is the end of the episode, but if you're looking for more, be sure to find more episodes on the platform you're viewing on or head over to Instagram to find tons of valuable clips.